Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Welcome, everybody. Good morning. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative. And we have two wonderful ladies on today to talk about voting. Laura Vogel is the Senior Advisor for National Rural Electric Cooperative Association. And Kate Latour, the Director of Government Relations for NCBA CLUSA. You know, voting matters. But right now in our world, we have over 217,000 deaths due to COVID. We've got forest fires. California, Oregon, Washington State, the economy's bad. You have all of these millions and millions of people that have lost their jobs, needing health insurance, needing food. So our world really looks bad. And, Laura, let me ask you start off, why does voting matter? That's a great question, Vernon, and, and one that I love to answer sort of shortly and succinctly. And, and voting matters because your vote is your voice. It's the beginning of a relationship with elected officials, whether it's on the local, state, or federal level. And having that ability to talk to one of those elected officials and say that I'm a constituent and I vote is a very powerful statement. Wonderful. Yeah. And I just add to it that you also, by voting, you get a choice to say who the elected official will be. So when you go to ask, you've had a say-so in that. Kate, do you have anything to add to that, why voting matters? Yeah, I think, you know, Laura has, has hit the nail on the head. And I think really just to add on that, your, your community depends on your co-op. Um, and so your voice as a co-op member um, is particularly important. Um, and, and it's important that your elected officials understand what you and your co-op bring to the community. Okay, so I'm, I'm glad you brought the word co-op into the conversation. So tell me what is... NCBA CLUSA. What what does NCBA CLUSA do? Sure. Um, so NCBA CLUSA is an over 100-year-old organization, um, and our mission really is to promote and advance the cooperative model and movement um, to build a more inclusive economy. And we have four main tracks of work, um, international development, advocacy, public awareness, and thought leadership. So my role as Director of Government Relations um, focuses primarily on advocacy, um, including legislation, but also campaigns and elections. So I got advocacy, public awareness. What were the other two? Development and thought leadership. Oh, international development. Thought leadership. What is thought leadership? You know, I think it's wide-ranging, but showing how co-ops Um, are so diverse? What's up and coming in um, the cooperative movement? What are innovative ways of using the cooperative model? Um, How are people coming together via the cooperative model to solve the big big challenges that they're facing? Okay. Solve these big challenges like forest fires and the economy bad and deaths? We definitely have some big challenges right now. (laughs) Okay. We do. 
Yes, and I think co-ops could be really helpful in getting those things done. And, Laura, you with NRECA. Tell us what NRECA is. Yes, um, NRECA is the association that represents electric cooperatives around the country, and we have about 900 electric cooperative members uh, throughout the United States. We are now in 48 of the 50 states that we have at least one electric cooperative um, to kind of tack on to what Kate said, you know, we are pillars in the community, we are member-owned, and therefore there's a, a, a different way that we provide the services of the electricity that we get to our membership because we're also within the communities that we serve. And so there's just that different way of, of communicating with the folks who we provide electricity to and providing that service within these communities. You know, we serve um, about 92% of the nation's persistent poverty communities, and, wait, and wait, we wait, do wait, that hold, hold in a way on. that is affordable and reliable. Wait a minute. I've never heard that stat before. You, you provide 92% of the nation's poverty? What is that? Um, we provide that. electricity to 92% of persistent poverty counties in the United States. So these are underserved people. These are people who wouldn't otherwise have access to electricity if it weren't for an electric cooperative. And so 92% of consistent poverty, that's the poll of the poll? Um, yep. Yes. So I'm from the southern part of West Virginia and McDowell County is next to Mercer County where I grew up, and that's one of the poorest counties in the U.S., but I don't think we have a rural electric co-op there. I've, I've got to go check that. That's, that's actually, you're, you're correct. There is one cooperative in West Virginia. It's Harrison Rural Electric, and I don't believe that that is near where you, you grew up. Um, but there's always a chance to um, get a cooperative movement going, um, and that's what you know we would say, and I think Kate would also uh, jump on board with that as well, is that, you know, what we do also involves that movement of, of building the cooperative spirit. I just found out this year that West Virginia University has a center for creating uh, jobs and community, and Amanda Huron, I'm pretty sure that's her name, runs that center, or at least runs that part, and cooperative is a big piece of what they're doing there. And I was glad to hear that, and I've had her on the show. But let's go back to this voting thing. So I just want to quickly, there are four types of co-ops. There's a worker co-op if it's owned and controlled by the employees. If it's owned and controlled by the people that use the products and services, it's a consumer co-op. And if some groups, particular businesses come together, uh, farmers particularly, sometimes artists, and they form a purchasing co-op to buy what they need to produce whatever they need. And then some other businesses and people will start a marketing co-op or producer co-ops, and some of those are farmers like uh, they created Cabot Creamery, Lando Lakes, Ocean Spray. So those are the four types. And National Rural Electric or electric co-ops are the consumer co-ops. And you had 92% in the poverty counties, and you're in 48 of the 50 states. I've heard some stats on how many either people or those little meters that run for electric, how many people or how many counties well, 48 of the 50 states, but how broad of the area of the land mass since you've done rural? And I understand you all started in rural, 
Lord, why don't you tell us how you guys, how National Rural Electric Co-ops got started? It was actually a grassroots movement. Um, we were born out of, of engagement in grassroots. Back in the 30s, there were a number of communities that weren't getting electricity because it just wasn't in the best interest of, of the um, investor-owned utilities at the time. It wasn't worth the expense that it would cost to perhaps uh, lay five or six miles of, of line to get to one customer. And so um, these communities came together and they pooled their money and they decided they were just going to do it for themselves. And out of that, then they formed a relationship with President Lyndon Johnson. At the time, he was um, still in Congress to try to get some funding. And um, he was one of the many legislators that ultimately enacted what became the Rural Electric Administration. And from there, that movement just built around the country, and um, it's where we're at today. We have 42 million uh, consumer members. Um, I think it's it's about 21 million lines, Um, and so we account for the fact that there are families receiving electricity in the same household. So 42 million members, and I could bore you with a whole bunch of other stats but you know we do we do serve about 80% of counties in the United States and that other 20% of counties are the large urban communities like Cook County in Illinois, Los Angeles. So we don't obviously serve those communities. But I was surprised if you serve Fairfax County, Virginia and Prince George's County, Maryland and those used to be rural, they're not anymore. So you are in some Metropolitan areas, and they can't yes, really. Yeah, we are we are in sort of that ex-urban area as well as people start to expand out from those urban communities, looking for that better quality of life, which you know cooperatives are are really great at providing. Okay, so Lyndon Johnson helped out, so there's this relationship with those elected officials, but I also understood that Franklin Delano Roosevelt during the during their uh, depression helped out with the rural electric. Is that, do I have that right? That's correct. It it, it came out when he was um, president of the United States. And and a lot of those other uh, programs that you saw as well were born out of FDR's leadership as president. When you say a lot of other programs, what do you mean? Um, You know, the um, Civilian Conservation Corps, the WPA, Works Progress Administration, you know, other things that provided an opportunity for people to get back to work when they were struggling. And so the electric cooperative movement kind of came out of that as well. And we're able to prove that almost immediately providing services back into the community, um, not just electricity, but being able to sort of expand some of the other things like, you know, dairy farmers were able to use electricity to um, provide their milk in the little town store that much faster. It was it was available to those communities. That's just one example. So I visit Greenbelt Homes right here at Greenbelts, and that was started during Roosevelt's administration. They created the 1,600-unit communities, and I think they did four or five of them, some number throughout the U.S., and they had plans for doing others, and it didn't happen. That's a wonderful, wonderful community. So I, I think uh, – FDR did a lot for the cooperative movement and it helped come bring us out of the Great Depression and maybe what helps bring us out of this maybe second Great Depression. It hasn't been a depression yet, but it's 
bigger than the last Great Recession. Laura, um, you, you think you're a Democrat. What's your title here again? Director of Government Relations. What is this relationship between, what do you try to do with um, NCBA with the relationship with different politicians? Sorry, was that for Laura or for me? I'm sorry. It was for you, Kate. Yes. Oh, no problem. Um, you know, I think one of the, the great parts about working on co-ops, there, there certainly are many, um, but, you know, linking it to, to President Roosevelt, um, you know, he called education the safeguard of our democracy. And I think that's really at the core of the cooperative model um, and is one of the things that makes it bipartisan and, and again, as voting a civic duty. I love that. Education is the safeguard of our community, safeguard of what we do and about, and which that is the fifth principle, education, training, and information of the cooperative movement. Listen, we're going to get ready for our first break. This is great to understand what uh, NRECA is about and NCBA inclusive. We'll be right back to talk more about vote.coop. Please don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Station. Information is power. That's why WL is a great partner. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative. And we have Laura Vogel from NRECA on with us today and Kate Latour from NCBA. Uh, we've already talked about the number of deaths that's happening because of COVID, the fires in California, Oregon, the economy's down, and then the death of George Floyd just brought up all of the uh, racism and political unrest and it uncovered the racism and the effects of racism. And this voting thing gets to be so, so important, extremely important. And NRECA knows that, and they started a program four years ago to help people to get out and vote. So, Laura, would you tell us about this program that NRECA started and what were the first things that you all were doing with Vote.coop? Absolutely. So the program we developed was called Co-op's Vote, and uh, we developed it in late 2015 to start to get our members engaged in the 2016 presidential election. It was originally born out of the realization that uh, voter turnout was declining at a more rapid pace in rural communities than it was in urban communities. So let me repeat, though, that voter turnout was declining all over our country, but it was at a faster pace in these rural communities. And, and we saw an opportunity to, to turn that tide. And, and that's really where co-ops vote started. It was simply a movement to get our members to go to the polls each and every election day. It's a nonpartisan program, so we don't tell people who to vote for. We simply give them the information they need on issues that are affecting their communities and then just ask them to go to the polls to uh, vote for whomever they think will best represent them and their communities, whether it's, again, on the local, state, or federal level. And that's, that's where we started, and we have expanded tremendously from there. So what would I do if I wanted to use co-op vote? How do I use this? So actually, 
actually what we have available is our website, which is vote.coop. And it's actually available to anyone who wants to use it. So you don't have to be a co-op member to go to vote.coop and find out information about voting. We do have a really nice, powerful tool there that folks can use to find out what their voter registration status is, deadlines on voting, whether it's voting by mail or in person, other information about polling places, candidates. Um, and all of that is available on, on vote.coop to anyone um, who's interested in using it. But obviously, we promote it within the cooperative community, both um, with electric cooperatives and then um, through Kate and what she does with NCBA, FUSA. Okay. But, Laura, I, I went on vote.coop. Then what do I do next? What's the next step? Um, you can click on um, voter information, and it'll take you to a page where you will have to enter some of your um, information solely so that they can tell you who the candidates are, um, but also if you want to find out what your voter registration status and things like that, they will need a little bit of information from you so that they can confirm that it's actually you that's looking for that information. Okay. So I put in information. I put in my name, my email address, and it's taken me to join us. So, Okay. Got to go back and put my address in. Okay, so it's asking for information. Yeah, and okay. and the address again. You know, it, we're only using that as a tool so that you can get the most accurate information on who's running for office in your community, um, as, as well again as to ensure uh, that the voter registration status that you're looking up is actually you. Okay, because this is more than the last time I used it. Right. It didn't, it didn't yeah, I told you, it, we've really beefed up vote.coop, and we're pretty proud of, of the website that we have available to folks now. And if I could actually just give an extra shout out to NRACA and the team at Cubs Vote, because they also have state voting information sheets that are so immensely helpful um, and will get you, you know, exactly where you need to go, especially in this time where there are so many changes to how people are voting. Um, it gives you important deadlines, where to go for more information, um, and all the work is already done for you based on your state. So just a huge kudos to Laura and her team. Okay, so if I need to know who is running for office, I know that's the first time I used it. That's what I went on and, and found out who was running for office in this area, in my area. What else can you find out, uh, Laura? What else can you find on here? In addition to that, so there are, obviously, because it's America's Electric Cooperatives, there are information pages on the issues that um, are affecting electric cooperatives and rural communities. So we have issues like, you know, providing broadband um, into those communities, which has become so important these days as, as kids are distance learning and, and we're all working from home. Making sure that we have access to reliable broadband um, is, is just one example of an issue um, so we have access to all of those issue pages so that our, our membership can um, ensure that they understand what those challenges are and and then, you know, be able to have a conversation with a candidate um, and ask them what they're doing to provide those various services or to provide for those issues. You know, we are, like you said earlier, we're dealing with wildfires and, and wildfire mitigation. I mean, I don't want to go down a, a rabbit hole and, and bore you all, but I mean, that's that's all stuff that's available on uh, vote.coop. In addition to some really fun videos and, and other information, we also have a link to 
our partner, which is National Voter Registration Day, which I know we haven't talked about yet, but NRECA and Co-ops Vote is a premier partner with National Voter Registration Day, and so we have links to their information as well. Dare I say that you can click a lot of different places on vote.coop and be taken somewhere to find information on how to vote. So if you are somehow confused on our website, you can click any number of places there and you're going to find the information that you need. So I'm just on this and I just found that I can vote for Joe Biden or Donald Trump and I can vote Kamala Harris or Mike Pence. U.S. Senate, there's three people in D.C. The House, there's five people I could vote. No, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Well, okay, there's a lot of information. Wait till you get to the D.C. Okay. City Council. There's a lot of votes. <laughs> <laughs> it just needs a lot of time. I mean, but it's really helpful to know in advance, and you can research the candidates and uh, from the comfort of your own home, and uh, and and think about how those folks are are going to represent you and and your co-op. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I've been having difficulty. I I have my ballot right here in front of me, and the secretary sleeve it has to go into, the envelope it has to go into, and I have to sign the back of it. So it gives me all of these instructions of what to do. And I filled out the first half, but well, I didn't know who the U.S. representative was, and the Ward 7 member of State of Board of Education and Advisory Neighborhood Commission. So if I can go find out who these people are here, I was waiting to see who I could go talk to about this before I can fill this out and go drop it off. I want to drop it off by tomorrow. So I've got to do some research to become an informed voter about who these candidates are. So I got the first part filled out. Okay, this could be very helpful. Thank you. Well, and it sounds like you're making a plan to vote, which um, I know Kate likes to talk about a little bit, so I don't want to steal her thunder, but it sounds to me, Vernon, like you just made a plan to vote. Oh, I've had the plan, and my sister and I have talked about a plan. I have friends I've talked to on Facebook, and different people have put up pictures of when they voted and where they put dropped it off, of dropping it off in what box and making sure the box is legitimate, particularly some folks in California, making sure they've got the right stamp on it and all of that. Uh, so, yeah, this is make a plan. And Kate, why don't you tell us about that then? What What do you have to say about yeah, making a plan? I'm I'm a planner uh, to my core, so this is my bread and butter. But, you know, again, everything is just a little bit different this year. And so folks who may have um, in past elections gotten up a little early before work on Election Day, gone to their polling location, and then gone along with their day – you know, that might not be the case this year. A lot of folks um, are experiencing long lines already. So what does making a plan mean? Does that mean bringing a chair or some snacks, or planning for child care? Or if, and that's, you know, if you're planning on in-person voting. Otherwise, uh, like your plan is to drop it off at a ballot box. Um, and and there's, there's a host of different um, options that, that people can take, but it's important to actually spend the time to think about it. And I also just want to note, um, how much I appreciate that your plan includes bringing others into the fold with you. You know, Laura mentioned making it fun uh, to vote. And part of that is is encouraging your friends and your family to participate as well. So I have a meeting uh, with my fraternity last night and a, a group uh, committee is looking at buying food stuff and taking it out to different lines. I'm hoping we don't have the lines in D.C. I know we didn't have it for the primary. It worked really well. 
but at least if we do it, what are the different kinds of things we can take? And, um, okay, I, I've never even thought about taking stuff to maybe go use the bathroom with, and somebody heard somebody say that earlier, that you may have to plan really, really way out there. I hadn't thought about that. We're going to take our second break, and we'll be back to talk more about uh, co-ops vote. Uh, and what national rural elected cooperators are doing to get cooperators out, and NCBA CLUSA is doing to let's get the vote out. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Your news talk station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative, and we are talking about voting, which this station just said, get out, register, and vote, and that's what we're talking about. And right before we took the break, we were talking about the long lines, and they're particularly in Texas and Georgia, and we're talking about planning uh, because of either some places have long lines, some don't. But I would also suggest to you, and I'd like to hear what uh, Kate and Laura thinks about this idea, it seems to me those politicians in Texas and Georgia did not plan well or they wouldn't have these long lines. I, there seems like there ought to be some ways they could have planned better than that. And I've heard some people say when you get ready to vote, you might want to remember those people and get people in there that can plan. What do you all think about that? Yeah, I can I can start off and then let, let Kate kind of add on. You know, I think – We've all ended up in a situation here that nobody could have planned for. Let's face it. We didn't plan for a pandemic. We didn't plan to have to social distance and, and, and not do the things that we were just sort of wired to do, you know, throughout our, our lives so far. Some, I mean, there are a few folks left that, that lived through the, the Spanish flu, but for the most part, this is not something that we were ready for. So to be fair to those folks, I think just trying to figure out what that looks like, how many people can be in a building at the same time, you know, at six feet apart. And and also one of the other situations that, that, that we're facing right now is a shortage of poll workers. And so that results in possibly having to close down some uh, some of these polling places because they just don't have the polling workers to staff them. And so, yeah, I think, you know, planning is important, but also keeping in mind that some of this stuff we just could not have thought of. And and so trying to pivot and do the best that they can. Um, and, you know, I will say there's lines even, you know, here, um, Fairfax County, you know, in their early voting. I had a friend who attempted to go last week and was told that the wait would be three hours. And so the result there, at least in Virginia, I know they have expanded and, and figured out how to open up additional voting places. But, you know, without the poll workers, there's not a whole lot that can be done. Um, I don't mean to sound so negative about it, but, um, you know, those poll workers are vital to making sure that um, exercising your civic duty is done in a safe and, and reliable manner. So I want to give a shout out because that's really critical. This poll worker, there's a, there is a uh, web page you can go to, particularly young people. It's called pollhero.org, 
and look at getting training. I don't think it's too late uh, because you have to be trained to be a poll worker. But there are a lot of young people that have come forward to become poll workers, and they don't have as big an issue as somebody like me that's 73 years old with diabetes and hypertension mm-hmm. would have as a high-risker. So there, there has been a lot of young people that have stepped up, and I would encourage those young cooperators as a way of stepping up and learning how to be a poll worker early on um, and helping your community, and you get the education, and you get paid for doing this. So there's a lot of reasons to become a poll worker. It's pollhero.org. Uh, do you want to add to that, Kate? Well, I think both of you just um, touched on really important points. One, the importance of knowing um, the options that are available to you. So Laura mentioned someone early voting. Um, and, and Vernon, you mentioned your plan to drop off uh, your ballot at a community drop box. Um, and these are all, I think, again, all of this is also available on vote.coop of the ways and certain deadlines regarding, you know, these these um, ways you can cast your ballot before actually on November 3rd. So I think it really touches on that. And then I would also just circle back to, to Vernon, how you um, introduced this topic, but the importance of educating yourself on who's on the ballot. And, you know, a lot of the attention perhaps rightfully goes to the top of the ballot, but folks should really take the time to educate themselves up and down the ballot on every candidate since, you know, a lot of policy is also is, is really set and carried out at the state and local level. So while a lot of the fanfare goes to the top of the ballot, every every race is important. And you're talking about every political race, every whether it's local. I, I went right to black, white, brown, red race. Every race is important. Okay. My joke Every office. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Every office is important. So we, we talked a little bit about the principles of cooperation, and I, I want to go to the first and second one. The first one is volunteer and open membership to be in a co-op. It doesn't make any difference about your race, your gender, your political persuasion, your religion, or anything. It's open to anybody. If, if it's a co-op and following these principles, and that's open membership. And the second one is democratic member control, and that's one member, one vote. So in the principles of co-ops, just right away, voting is extremely important. And do you find that in most co-ops, you'll maybe have 70 to 80 percent participation in voting, where in the U.S., as, as Laura, you talked about earlier, you saw where voter participation was going down and going down faster in rural areas, and that's why we're looking at this. What are you seeing the trends now? Has anything changed in terms of voter participation and, and the work that you guys are doing too, Laura? You know, we have seen a change. Um, and, and I think, you know, let's set 2020 aside for just a second here because there's a lot, there's a lot of aspects of 2020 that we may see things that we may not see again. But, you know, I, I, I can say definitively after we started the program in 2016, we did do some research with with a, a, a pollster who was able to find some of this information out for us and, and that we were able to bring an additional 500,000 rural voters to the polls in 2016. That might not sound like a, a huge number, but when you think Women. about some of these rural communities that are, you know, small, 200 people maybe, 300 people. And so, you know, that starts to be a more profound number. Um, And we have seen an increase in participation in the co-op's vote program 
by cooperatives around the country who are utilizing our tools to encourage their consumer members to go to the polls each and every election day. So just by utilizing those tools and the um, the uptick from cooperatives participating, we have seen a difference and we have seen a movement, if you will. And again, that's that's separate from 2020 because I think 2020 is, and Kate, you can you know, agree or disagree, but I think 2020 is going to be a bit of an anomaly in what we're looking at. So I want to first com- comment on that 500,000. To me, that's huge. Being a small town boy growing up, 500,000 people is a whole lot of people. I think 20,000 people is Bluefield. Uh, so if you got 5,000 people going to oppose, it's huge. But I would, I would like to I would like to think that 2020 is an anomaly, and I'm hoping that it will go on to 2022, 2024, that people really get how important voting is, the stuff that we talked about in the first and second segment, and just how critically important it is. So, Kate, do you want to add anything to this this concept? Yeah, I would say I am I'm agree that I'm hopeful that some of these things are an anomaly. Um, but I will say, you know, we have found – new ways to engage with voters, um, whether that's digitally um, or or just reiterating the importance of voting, um, that it is on the forefront, that maybe um, this critical time uh, is forcing people to really connect the dots on their participation in voting and and what their life looks like. So I think, you know, while these are, are really challenging times, um, perhaps some of this engagement that we're seeing can can continue. And I think particularly, you know, co-ops are so well suited, not only because of the cooperative model that runs on democratic principles, it thrives because people participate in the co-op, but also because so many co-ops serve as essential services, you know, NRECA, utilities, there's food co-ops, direct, uh, direct care worker co-ops. There's so many, um, services where there are prominent cooperatives uh, where, again, communities really depend on it. So if that co-op can serve as a source of information on how to participate more broadly in in the community and in uh, the democracy, then I think that's a great thing. I think it is a great thing. And I'm too, like you, really hoping that this will continue this this engagement that we're seeing this year. But particularly, we think that, uh, okay, National Rural Electric Co-ops huge in the rural world, and then you have credit unions that's huge throughout the U.S. as another form of consumer credit uh, co-ops, and then you have housing co-ops, huge in places like New York and D.C. and Chicago, some in San Francisco, L.A., but not as big, as big as it possibly will be one day. Anita Bonds, Councilwoman Anita Bonds, had a, had a group called the Limited Equity uh, Housing Co-op Task Force, and she came away with the co-ops, uh, limited equity housing co-ops are the answer to gentrification. That is bring getting housing that's good, solid housing for people that are getting pushed out because prices of housing goes up. Uh, so co-ops can a whole bunch of different ways to solve, to solve community problems. So right now I want to talk about Papa Sin. Papa Sin works for NCBA Clusa. He works out of Senegal. I, I, Watched him do some training uh, several years ago, I think, well, seven years ago. He was on the show in October. This month, we're celebrating our seventh uh, anniversary. 
So we've been on the air for seven years. We were only going to do it for one month, co-op month. So we've had cooperative impact that NCBA Clusa put on. And by the way, Kate, I've said this, I've, I've texted out that I think this was the best impact conference. So you could meet a lot of more people. You see a lot more than you could when you're there in person. And it costs a lot less. <laughs> okay, $35 or $75 versus two, three, four, five hundred $500 in registration fees. So it may be an answer for the future. Maybe it's okay. Anyway, that's another subject. But I really enjoyed the, the impact conference this year. But Papa Sin said, as they, they created a, a housing co-op first because they were the outskirts of synagogue, and then they created a bus co-op to help take people into the city for working in school. And then as the community grew, they created a school co-op because they had a lot of kids and so forth. And they asked the government for money to help with the school co-op. And he said, you pay taxes in anticipation of what you're going to need in the future. And I never thought about taxes that way. This relationship of you're going to need something, the community is going to need something. In this case, it was schools. It could have been roads. It could have been busing. So you pay to the, the government taxes, and then you expect to get something back from that in the future, health care, whatever, whatever. And I'm seeing the same thing for voting. The same relationship is you get out and you vote for somebody and you expect that they will know about your community and help put in programs and stuff for you and your community. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I can I can definitely start with that. And, and I think it touches on an important point that democracy is not intended to be transactional. Um, it is an ongoing effort and and it thrives when people participate on an ongoing basis. After that vote is cast, you sure hope that that person stays accountable to the issues that you hold high, but it can't end there. You have to make sure that those issues, they, they may not know about those issues unless you tell them. Um, and so, you know, then you can work with that elected official to help create federal tools, local tools that enable cooperative development. And, and it is really, again, just an ongoing relationship um, rather than a one-time thing. Absolutely. Laura, we're going to ask you to add to that when we come back from our final break. The time goes by real quick when you're having fun. I'm having fun. Hope you guys are. <laughs> and hope folks out there that are listening are getting information that you need. Please go vote. Your voting is your voice. And we'll be right back to talk more about this on the other side of this commercial. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. You know, we're having a great conversation this morning talking about voting, but the, this program is brought to you by the National Cooperative Bank. They've been our sponsor for seven years, both not much more than financial. They've been a partner, giving us ideas on how to improve and who all could be on it, and Chuck Snyder and the group at NCB have just been phenomenal. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. So we constantly give a shout-out to NCB because of the great work that they do in these communities that a lot of black, brown, native people live in. So we've been talking now about voting is your voice, make a plan, make sure you get out and vote and you take other people with you. And right before we took the break, I had 
put out the proposition that we got from Papa Sin that you pay taxes with the anticipation of what the government can do for you in solving your community problems. And I say that's the same thing for voting. You vote for politicians, elected officials that will help solve your community problems. And as Kate said before we took a break, you may have to keep telling them what those problems are. They may not know what they are, but you have to keep telling them, and then they have to provide solutions, and you keep telling them, and you, this is an ongoing thing. Laura, what, what are your thoughts? Do you have anything else to add to that? Yeah, I'll just add one thing, um, and, and I think this, this actually can go across all cooperatives, but specifically to the rural communities that, that we serve, and, and that is to tell the co-op story. And so anytime you have an opportunity to engage with a candidate or an elected official, being able to tell the story of your community and what your community is facing is so important. And that goes back to what Kate said much earlier um, in the program, that having elected officials who understand those challenges is is vital to ensuring that those communities continue to thrive and, and survive. And so we, we are constantly t- saying to tell the co-op story because each and every co-op, we also have another saying over here that if you've seen one co-op, you've seen one co-op. And, and each <laughs> co-op has its own story. And so, you know, you start off that relationship by voting and sort of arming yourself with the information about what's happening in your community. But then as a voter and a constituent, you also have the right to make a phone call to those elected officials anytime, and, and frankly, to reach out to candidates who are running as well and ask them what they're going to do on, on, on a variety of issues that the community is facing. But then also telling that story of what the cooperative is doing in those communities is also vital because it, it then provides that, that story back to the cooperative that elected officials like to hear about. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's sort of a, a, a cyclical nature. You know, you vote, you build that relationship, you engage with elected officials and candidates on the issues that matter, and it just kind of continues in a circle, and, and it becomes, you know, a nice relationship. It can come a very nice relationship, but get out and vote and make sure they know you're voting. Get out and vote. Get knowledge, and that's what the fifth principle of, of cooperatives, education, knowledge, information. And then you've got all of the issues out there, the health care. You've got all these forest fires, hurricanes, whether you believe in climate change or not. All of, how, do you, how do you prepare for all of these hurricanes that are coming through and the insurances that are needed, whether it's health insurance or house insurance, all of these different kinds of things that are, are happening. How do you become educated and knowledgeable? And I like the sixth principle of co-ops, too, is cooperation among co-ops. How do we come together and work together to solve all of these problems? So there's a handful of us, Liz Bailey, myself, uh, Michael Peck, and Pat Thornton, we put together a USPS.coop, co-ops for the U.S. Postal Service. And I think in a rural community, particularly in a co-op community, the Postal Service has played a vital part of it. And so we're asking people to go to U.S ps.coop and just sign up to send a letter to the Senate to support the Postal Service. So anybody out there that would like to do that, just go to usps.coop and you can sign up for a letter that we're going to send to the Senators to say to support the Postal Service. They've been a lot since they were around before we were a United States of America. And George Washington was the first Postmaster General. So we're just really wanting co-ops to get behind that and the Senate. 
Okay. What else would you guys like to talk about? We're in our last few minutes here. We have about five, six more minutes. What would you like people to do or know or say? Well, I can perhaps connect a couple of those ideas. Um, and just as someone whose previous job was uh, reading those letters that uh, are sent to elected officials, I can say firsthand that they are read by a human being um, and responded to as such. And again, you know, with statewide, national, local offices, elected officials and candidates can know about issues when you tell them. Um, and again, I so wholeheartedly agree with Laura's story that when you have heard one co-op story, you have heard one co-op story. And even within um, federal programs, co-ops implement them differently. and they have such tangible, positive outcomes on individuals and communities that there is so much power in taking the time to tell that story. And I would add that to the credit of the cooperative community, we have done a good job. We can always do better, but we have done a good job of this. And that was reflected in the CARES Act, which had language um, you know, Vernon, I know you talked on this show about the challenges that co-ops face accessing finance, particularly at the Small Business Administration, because some of their historical regulations, because of the invitations to visit a co-op and the hard work to develop legislation. In the CARES Act, there was language that made sure that co-ops could access some of those programs that were quickly stood up, including the Paycheck Protection Program for most co-ops and all co-ops for the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. Um, and particularly on paycheck protection, we know that more than 2,000 cooperatives participated, and that had a direct translation to more than 93,000 jobs that were preserved in this crisis. Um, a lot of that financing, these, these cooperative businesses turned to their credit unions or farm credit banks um, or the National Cooperative Bank for that support because, as you mentioned, kind of the cooperation among cooperatives these are existing relationships that co-ops have and depend upon to help their businesses thrive. So um, it really does come full circle. And again, you know, making sure that we continue to work with legislators um, and then reinforce that or make clear that we weren't happy with that at the ballot box. At the ballot box, you can make sure you can tell somebody we really like what you're doing or we can tell them we don't like what you're doing. Exactly. We vote for the persons we like and we don't vote for the persons we don't like. Yeah, and right. also we can give money. And I like what you said, Kate, about writing the letters because somebody reads them. We can really write the letter to say here's what our community needs. This is what we want you to do and to tell the story. Laura, I love that. and I've heard that before. One co-op story is one co-op story. And if you go look, you got the housing co-ops and you got the credit unions and the rural electrics and the food co-ops and the da-da-da-da-da-da-da. All of these are their own individual stories. They have some threads that run around them, and that's the principles and the values. The values I like are ethical, honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for one another, those ethical principles. Laura, what do you have to add now that you want people to know? You know, I think just to sort of bring this back full circle and just to remind folks that voting is important and exercising your civic duty every single time there's an election 
is very powerful. And, and frankly, um, you know, we didn't even have, I mean, we, gosh, we could talk about this for hours. You know, we, we could have like a full day marathon here. But, you know, we didn't even get into youth engagement and, and what our, our young people are doing um, and sort of instilling that excitement to go to the polls and cast your vote for someone that you believe will better your community is is, is just really powerful. Um, and, and I said, I, I, I will say this, I said this to you four years ago, and I'm going to say it now. Um, me personally, voting is my jam. I love the fact that you can exercise your civic duty and choose candidates that best reflect what you're thinking and what your community needs is, is just so powerful. I can't say it enough. Um, and, and just sort of that excitement of waiting in line on election day to cast your vote, there's really nothing like it. And I would just reiterate to anyone that's kind of doubting whether or not their vote matters or, or why they should go vote, I would challenge them to just go stand in line and get that feeling of, you know, patriotism and being part of something greater and then casting their vote. And I'll leave it at that. So a good friend of mine, uh, Liz Bailey, said that when I told her I was talking to a, a young couple and they said they were not vote, they were not going to vote because they didn't like either candidate. They were talking about the top of the ticket. They didn't like uh, Trump or Biden. So they weren't going to vote. And uh, Liz shot back out. Why don't you tell them that it's not about them? It's about the community. And who do you think is going to be best for your community? And that's where I like this. Voting is my jam. Voting is the thing that I do so I can help make sure I get somebody in there that's going to be best for the community. There's nobody perfect. You're not going to find a perfect candidate. But who is best? And that's the choice that you have. And you, in the primaries, you can try to choose the one that you think is going to be most perfect. But they're not going to be perfect either. Ladies, we're about to close out. Just let me ask you, do you like your work? Do you like what you do? Kate, I'm thrilled with it. Um, I am thrilled to have such a great issue to work on. Um, And in this particular instance, to have someone as enthusiastic about Democratic participation uh, with Laura as a partner, um, that has uh, been truly inspiring and a really awesome time to work with. Laura, Kate. Anything else? I love what I do. Thank you, ladies. Thank you so very much. Liking and loving what you do and getting people out to vote. Everybody out there, go vote. Vote like your life depends on it because it really does. And we'll see you guys next Thursday. Uh, Please live cooperatively.